Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're back here to talk about the offense after the Browns game, that big win that uh, raised the Ravens to four and three, gives them a nice, clear lead in tiebreakers and lead by two games now over the Browns, which is nice. Uh, and here to talk about with me today is Alec Bullianis. Alec, how are you doing? Doing well, Ken. This uh, another nail biter, another one that made my heart flutter a little bit, but uh, glad that we came out with the win and a crucial divisional win at that. Another 10-point lead that that did not feel at all safe in the fourth quarter. It's like we've we've oh, been know. we've played this from this save game before, anyway. Uh, I love that analogy, man. That was great. Yeah, I I, I appreciate that. I've I've actually never played Dark Souls 3. Uh, I've heard you die a lot, but I but I've never played it. So I thought, <laughs> oh, that's a good reference. <laughs> uh anyway, uh let's hear your uh Twitter handle to start with and your and your show. Yeah, the show's Twitter handle is at one winning pod. Uh, that's the same name as the show. And uh, we have a YouTube channel now. And uh, I just want to shamelessly plug. I interviewed uh, Joey Polone, one of the uh, photographers for the team. And I thought that was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed the conversation. And it's on our YouTube channel. You can watch. And he goes through like a bunch of his award winning photos and the photo story behind it and why I like the image and stuff. So it was a fun conversation. If you have seen Alex nature photos from his trip to Africa, uh, <laughs> they are truly spectacular. So uh, that, that, that would be a good, a good uh, cup pairing of, of you and he to, to talk about the uh, photos. Yeah. Uh, 
Okay, before we, uh, before we go on, I have to thank our sponsor, and that's Liquid Death, the water that will murder your thirst. Please give their product a try. I wanted Ready to have on? it for this show, and I, I couldn't go. get yeah. it in time. Yeah, it's a little hard for me to get where I'm located, so I have to maybe order it or something. All right. All right, we'll go to that extra effort, please. Uh, <laughs> with Thursday Night Football uh, looming, the Ravens went all in uh, in this game. They, they returned their personnel. Uh, Edwards, Bateman, Houston, a bunch of guys, you know, Bateman and Houston that we weren't sure of seeing at all. Uh, they were, we had a, a very sketchy looking injury report during the week, whole bunch of questionables that went along with limiteds and DNPs, particularly on the Wednesday, which usually, usually to me, a limited on the Wednesday prior to a Sunday game is typically a, they're not going to play that week, particularly if someone's had a, a, a long-term injury. Yeah, I agree. I was really pleasantly surprised that Houston was active. I know when I was looking at the inactive report, we all we all were waiting for it before the game. And I'm looking at it like, I guess Houston's playing. I wasn't surprised about Mark Andrews. I wasn't too surprised about Bateman. But for whatever reason, I just didn't really trust that Houston would play. And um, yeah, he did. And we'll talk. I mean, we won't talk about because it it's the offensive show, but he had incredible impact for uh, the he snaps he was out there. Yeah, fan, fantastic play. Obviously, limited limited snaps. He he. You found out he was playing not until the the inactive list came out. It wasn't a matter of the that you had uh, divined something the previous day's elevations. Um. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know uh, until eleven eleven thirty. Okay. Yeah. So that's when I found out too. I was just wondering if there, if if you had something special on me there that you, they they signed Daryl Worley to the team and and they and you know so that was like well wait a minute is something else up with Peters that could be wrong and that was kind of an interesting one and almost and almost like it was like to throw off the Browns or something it seems like it's like that really literally could have been a you know we're short a cornerback oh my God we've got to have Daryl Worley. Or maybe they actually decided on game day that, that Peters was was ready to play. So anyway, it was a very, very sketchy-looking injury report. And basically all the players they really needed to play got out there and played. Most of them played pretty well. You know, you you, you mm-hmm. spoke about Houston, but Bateman played pretty well, I thought. Edwards certainly played well coming back in his first game. Uh, Peters didn't have his best game, but still uh, it's great to have Marcus Peters and not somebody else out there. I agree. Yeah, Peters, I'm starting to be a little concerned about with his long speed this year. Uh, still very cerebral, still plays his assignments correct, and I still think he's a good player. It just seems like he's been able to get beat long, and I'm going to keep an eye on that. Yeah, the, it, it, when he's when there's single high coverage over the top, it's a, it's a tough time for Peters to be gambling, and, and he can be caught. And we had the, the play down the right sideline where he was beaten for the big play. That was Stone, and Stone can't make that play unless he reacts like a hockey goalie, not hockey goalie's the wrong, wrong <laughs> goalie, soccer goalie trying to stop a penalty kick by basically guessing as the player is as planted to approach the football. There's, there's just no way he can otherwise, you know, come anywhere mm-hmm. near that ball. But it's it's got to be a, a, a and and you know, safeties don't want to do that. Plus, then they get caught out of position for making the play otherwise, whether they have to make a tackle or uh, or whatever on a shorter pass. So you're 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 it's it's the very rare safety uh, who can ever get over that sideline. He has to really read something about the quarterback, trust his read. Somebody like Ed Reed would uh, <laughs> be the kind of player to do it. But uh, but single high is is very tough to your weakness is on the outside. That's why they play split safeties, mm-hmm. and that's why you you know you are able to you know cover to the sideline when that happens. Uh, let's see. So we got the injury report is going to dominate the discussion about the look forward to the Tampa game, I think, because it's a short yeah. week. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts about who play, who might sit? Uh, I mean, I think most players are going to play uh, is my overall takeaway that are available. And I think Bowser will be available for this game. That's my hunch is that he will play. Um but it sounded like after the game, like there were no major new injuries. Um, kind of curious to see what Bynes' availability what will be, mm-hmm. uh, if he has any kind of lingering um, injury. And I feel like these other injuries, like the Andrews injury, and um, yeah, like those those injuries. I feel like that's just they're like any other NFL player at this point. It just made them a little bit more public that they're icing up some <laughs> something's mm-hmm. getting iced up and they're getting some rest days and they're veterans. I'm not worried about them missing practice too much. 
Yeah, it's uh, I mean, Mark Andrews has been out of the offense in two of the last three weeks, but uh, he is DNP the first two days of this week. And they are basically doing the lightest walkthroughs to try and, you know, just learn the dance steps of the plays that they're going to run this week. So the install is is, you know, it's a probably a fairly limited install in, in addition to what they what they would you know have in their bread and butter kind of plays that they've been running all the time. Uh, Josh Bynes having not uh, played for two weeks is, is a good one. Uh, Calais Campbell is on the injury report for an illness, and that's two days now so far. So I'd be a little bit concerned about that one. Yeah, that's true. Out there. Yeah, I just pulled it up, and I, I remember reading about Calais and his illness. I didn't check in on uh, today's status. But yeah, two days in a row with an illness is a bit concerning. Uh, hopefully he gets well soon. And then Ronnie Stanley has missed two days with an ankle again. And I don't I don't know what to make of it this time. Uh, he played very well this week. We're going to get to that a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Um, ben Cleveland back at full uh, full strength, so that's kind of good news. Uh, we we haven't had him practicing full on the first day of practice of a week. There won't be anything like a really tough practice here in in, in this week. That there's nothing fully padded or anything, obviously with a with a short week. But mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, it's it's still good that he's back out there, and I I think. It'll be interesting to see whether he or Faalele would be the extra offensive lineman they'd activate under circumstances like this. Whether they number eight would be uh, Cleveland or or he. So we'll uh, uh, we'll see how that goes. I think as long as the Stanley situation is potential pitch count, uh, it'll be Faalele. That's my guess. But uh, yeah, I'm definitely interested to see what they do with Cleveland. And with Stanley, I would just comment that I think I think he's not going to practice most of the year. Okay, that, just, that could well be. I'm just like being honest. I feel like the Ravens have really changed their philosophy dramatically this year when it comes to injuries and uh, practicing and all that stuff. And we're just learning the new normal. And I think if anyone has anything whatsoever, they don't even want to risk it or push it. And I think that's wise. Like, I don't know. I've never played football. I never was obviously a professional athlete, but I don't know how much physical contact with the practice is necessary uh, if it's more mental reps at this point in the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and it could be that he's on the, he's on so limited for the whole, for a lot of the season. I know one player that was true of with the Ravens late in the season when he was with them was uh, Deion Sanders. Cause he, oh. he was, he would just show up at practice and sweats and he'd, he'd be there, do some work on the side and he'd, he'd want to understand the install, but he didn't actually need to, to, to walk through it too much to do it. And then he'd go out there and he'd play center field. And that year, the Ravens in 2005, yes, 2005, had 265 plays where they played only three defensive backs on the year. And a lot of that was Sanders playing center field with Reed Hurt and Roll and McAllister or Roll and somebody else on the outside. It was a pretty battered secondary, but Ryan making that work with effectively playing um, – Adilus Thomas as a as a strong safety was a really special kind of a defensive adjustment to make one on a lot of people wouldn't have been willing to take a chance on and, and it really did work for the Ravens. Wow, I wish I was a more nuanced uh, watcher back then. I remember that season, but I don't recall like that scheme or like yeah. hearing much about it back then. Yeah, yeah, they, they, nobody was talking about it, but it was something I, I unearthed when I went back and did the season to look look for it. It was like the season after that is when I 2006 season, great off great defensive season. And it was the first that I was scoring stuff and, uh, and the offensive line, I didn't even start until 2007. So uh, yeah, anyway, things came along later. So got some other players that might be on the men this week. Obviously Bowser is, is a big question and, and probably he's the one that I'm, that's most on the fence and is certainly terrifically important to bring him back at Sam. Ajabo, you think he'll be back this week or you think he's still be an inactive maybe for at least one more week? I am just so thoroughly surprised that he and Bowser were brought up at the same time that I am suspending my disbelief that he'll be back right away and he'll be a second. Like it, it just doesn't make any sense that he's, I imagine he's going to be available very soon, but it, it just surprises me. So I don't know. I, I much more believe that Bowser's available. I feel like he almost made the beginning of the season at this point. And I know obviously that didn't happen and uh, he's been inactive for a while here, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know for whatever reason he feels a lot closer. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go out here with something that that could well happen because of because of some circumstances. So maybe there's some chicanery involved here, but I think that he is a player who will get a sack 
on one of his first 15 NFL snaps, a job will. Because certainly a guy who comes in with, with a little bit of a toolkit, but there's a little bit more to it than that too, that, that he is a guy who certainly will be a situational pass rusher when he starts off. And he's a guy who has a pretty good chance to, to pick up a sack quickly under those circumstances. So might line up just about anywhere. Uh, they may really try and scheme to get him a sack. Uh, what they, what the, 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 I thought it was just incredibly cool what they did with Hamilton to scheme him up and how Stone effectively, well, he didn't completely free him up because Hamilton had to make an unbelievable move that I wish he could teach to any of our pass rushers to get off that <laughs> right. line of scrimmage. Yeah. Uh, and, and get past Froholt. I think it was Froholt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, anyway, Ojabo is a guy I would predict for a sack in, in one of his first 15 NFL saps. Suggs had one in number four. I think Bullware had one, I believe, in his first game, too. He had four in his first preseason. So. I do think that the Ravens have been highlighting these players that come back from injury. I don't know if it's just because all the fans are watching them extra closely, but it seems like their number even gets called a little bit more often. And it's like almost they want to give them that confidence boost, that first uh, good play. So I, I feel like they've been definitely scheming things up like, we saw Gus come back. He got three straight carries, right? Mm-hmm. He scored the first touchdown, like things like that. Same thing with J.K. Dobbins. Like it was never a doubt. Like, <laughs> when that first uh, opportunity he could go in there and score a touchdown, he did. So yeah. it's things like that. I just feel like it's it's inevitable. Yep. All right. So a couple other players still we need, need to talk about. One is Deshaun Jackson, who has a big impact on the offense, obviously, in terms of uh, okay, a potentially big impact on the sure. offense. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, you know, I, Bateman is, I believe Bateman is still fully practicing, right? Is that, or did I get that wrong? Did he? No, he, he, uh, he was, did not practice today and he was blank on Monday, which is weird. He's the only one that doesn't have any designation. Yeah, that's, that is weird. Okay. Yeah, that's weird. I don't like that. All right. Um, so anyway, Deshaun Jackson probably have a chance to be back today. And by the way, if you're looking at players who, who you might be able to, do without for Tampa Bay, but you needed them for the Browns because you need all hands on deck in that Waterloo game, you know, mm. uh, then he's probably one where you'd say, boy, if I can only have Bateman for one of these two games. Okay. Browns. Sure. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know. I'm not convinced. I thought it'd be the opposite, even though that um, it was obviously a more important game. I just felt for whatever reason, if they played that game and they didn't seem like they left injured, they would most likely play on Thursday. Uh, I guess we'll see. But um, yeah, as far as Deshaun Jackson goes, I guess he will play this game. I feel like if he does, we'll talk about it later. I just feel like the philosophy on the offense has to change some for it to truly be effective. And uh, we'll see. We'll see what they want to do with him. But I just would be surprised to see him as a second wide receiver option with uh, a bunch of heavies. Otherwise, like I just don't see that being the effective way to use Deshaun Jackson. Okay. So you're saying if, if you want to get the most out of Jackson, he needs to be in a, in a more normal kind of 11 personnel set, spread the field, have other verticals. That's my, uh, that's my guess personally. Unless you're using a fake heavy, like, uh, <laughs> like likely. Who's basically like a wide receiver at this point? Um, but if it's if it's Ricard out there, I, I just feel like it's not. I don't know. You have this huge vertical threat, but you're definitely threatening um, the run. I just, I guess, my overall opinion on this kind with the heavy personnel this year is I felt like going into the year I was very excited for it. I was very excited about having the heavy personnel, and I thought that this would be a very dynamic part of our offense. But I feel like it's still been relatively predictable when I'm watching the offense with these heavies out there that I'm knowing what's coming, you know, like as far as like, if it's going to be a run, if it's going to be a pass. And I was hoping it'd be more dynamic than that. It seemed like the personnel's just kind of like having watched the Ravens for a while. Like I can kind of tell what's coming and I imagine defenses can too. So that's been my biggest disappointment with the, the heavies. It's not been as creative as I thought it would be. Well, I mean, I, I don't think it would be fair to say that the, um, the offense has really suffered or the, the, you know, the, the, uh, the rushing attack certainly has really suffered in terms of, uh, uh, you know, yards per play for, for starters where they are second in the entire NFL. They did drop about half a yard this week to 544. So they're back in the, in the pack at the top, but Seattle at 552 is number one. Um, it, it's, it's still a, an effective run offense. These last three weeks, they've had to play some, Teams are very familiar with them. 
And that's that's my theory on why the pass offense has had some difficulty recently. I don't think it's necessarily the the heavies, although you know, there's always going to be people. Well, I want to do a coordinator. I want a new offense. I want to pass. I hate this run game. Uh, you know, there will always be those people. Okay, and there's nothing I can do about it. But I, but I bet what I'll, I'll say is I think this is more about three teams that really understand who their opponent is. Cincinnati knows us extremely well. You know, they've been very good about about bringing pressure on a delayed basis. Uh, Logan Wilson is a real Raven killer in terms of a guy who can provide extra value against Lamar. Uh, and, and uh, you know, they, they, they have these semi-spy things they set up. Then we had a week against Wink Martindale. Nobody knows him better than that. You know, yeah. So while the, while the uh, Giants don't necessarily have great personnel for stopping the Ravens, they, they pressured Lamar. And, you know, that was the second straight game he'd been pressured and really had a very subpar passing game. And then you play the Browns. And not only the Browns know the Ravens very well, they have a legitimate weapon against the Ravens in JOK. And mm-hmm. he he's just very effective in games against Lamar. So, I, I you know, this if, if, if this is a scheme point or one of the scheme points I had. It's just it's it, their familiarity is not helping Lamar in this way. I mean, he still ran the ball reasonably effectively in this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, personally, the Ravens did not as a team run the ball all that effectively, which is to, that that to my thinking is a bigger issue that the offensive line really didn't play that well. And the edge guys aren't just great pass rushers. They're pretty much great run defenders also. Mm-hmm. So, but I, but if, if you're really looking at like what went wrong with the Ravens offense or why is the Ravens offense not clicking, I wouldn't look for how we can move our own chess pieces around necessarily as much as how much the other defenses really understand. Cause there's just two teams playing this game. Oh yeah. Well, I really hope you're right that it's something to do with the last three weeks playing these opponents that know us really well i hope that's uh correct and like we see a change uh just how the other team's playing right uh and that improves our our outcome but uh yeah it's just something about it the last couple of weeks have been a little deflating you just feel like this team should be executing at a higher level they should be moving the ball more scoring more points and i remember you were talking to the uh browns guest and talked about you know getting spotted 26 points and you wouldn't be satisfied but we got 23 so i can't look at this offensive performance and be happy about it you know like that's my overall opinion and i know like we're one fumble away from probably scoring 30 and it looks differently and i i totally get that but there it's more than that fumble in my opinion that just for whatever reason this offense just feels like it's underperforming right I think they, I think, I think they might have been one fumble away from from winning that game twenty three to twenty, but making it look a lot easier. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, I don't know if that's exactly how it would have played out, but if they'd have gotten that first down and Hill was within about a yard of it, you know, they're pretty close to running out the clock on Cleveland. Yeah, and fair they would have, I think they would have needed one more first down, so uh, so hopefully they would have been able to get that. That's exactly where they were the previous week. I mean, in a lot of ways, you know, Hill losing the fumble was a lot like the illegal formation penalty. You know, it just mm-hmm. it, it ended up uh, costing them a nice, easy chance of the game. And last week, it actually cost them the game. So, you know, thankfully, it didn't this week. But uh, but anyway, yeah, let's keep going here. Kolar uh, back after the bye. Uh, we got a bunch of candidates to be cut, but this is going to be interesting. I, Klein is still on the Ravens roster. For some reason, I thought A.J. Klein had already been cut. But mm-hmm. if if he hasn't been cut, I would bet that he has played his last snap as a Raven on defense at a minimum. And let me see if he, if he, I think he's inactive. That's what it was. He was inactive this last week, wasn't he? Right. Yeah. He wasn't active this week. I I do expect he'll be cut. Okay. So once you make a mistake like that, a really boneheaded mistake coming in from the outside, that's, you don't have a lot of currency already built up in the back (laughs) bag. My kennel avoidance currency. And so, uh, you know, that's a, that was a bad mistake. All right. So, you know, one thing about this game, uh, there are a lot of really run first pl- folks out there and and they say, don't ever give up on the run. This team never runs enough. And, and they always come out of the woodwork, of course, whenever the Ravens lose a game and they don't <laughs> run more than, yeah. you know, 18 times or something. Right. But but in this game, the Ravens overcommitted to the run, if anything. And and you mentioned the, very well in the first series. I mean, four, three and four, I think it was on three plays for Gus Edwards to start the game. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. And I. I can count probably on one hand, certainly, maybe on about three fingers, how many times I've ever seen that lifetime. Like in, in 50 years of watching football, one one back, run the ball three times for a first down on the first drive. 
sure, somebody might run for 10 yards, seven yards, four yards, and get pulled. Uh, that you know, we've we've lived through the Jamal Lewis era. That's certainly possible that 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 could have happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but very rare to run to run three straight times, including on third down, and especially third and it was third and three, right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah, they were really yeah. committed to the run there. Like, <laughs> I I totally agree with what you're saying, and it was surprising. And I don't know, like they, it was such an unbalanced game from that perspective with uh, running versus pass. Yeah, it, it it was, and I I think I'm okay with that, especially the fact that that uh, uh, another guy we didn't talk about on the injury stuff is Morgan Moses uh, was taken out of the game early and replaced by McCarry, and and he's practiced apparently, and he's not on the injury report in any way, shape, or form. So that's good news. Yeah, I saw that Harbaugh said it, it was literally just because he was you know it was a tough matchup, he was getting beat out there, and you know, okay. maybe get the guy with uh, a little bit more stamina at this point because he wasn't playing all game, so. Yeah, definitely a difficult, difficult game for uh, Moses this game. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'd agree with that. Um, all right. The other you know, point that you've kind of made before the show is that if the Ravens are going to run heavy, they certainly ought to run more effectively against a team like the Browns. They ought to be able to set up all kinds of double teams in the middle of the field. They ought to be able to get to level two, get a body on JOK, mm-hmm. which is always one of the things. and. That he is one slippery, slippery dude is all I can say. He's very hard to block in level two. The Ravens guards had a hard time getting to him. Uh, yeah. a tough time sealing him. You know, you almost have to catch him in in the you know general wash as opposed to uh, you know actually blocking him because he seems to be very elusive. Yeah, and players like him are the reason I think we struggled to run this game. I've noticed. I feel like when you, we play these lighter, more agile players i think it's been what's been our achilles heel because sometimes we do that you've talked about it many times we leave a guy intentionally unblocked mm-hmm. well if they're just more athletic they're going to be able to kill the play and i think i saw on three or four different run plays it was ineffective because the unblocked man made the play you know we ran we tried to run away from him and they just caught up and, and that's that's you know usually you know, if you're if you're talking your your normal power read, you're looking right at the guy. You're deciding how you're going to get by that guy. So you're going to either run to if you're Lamar, you're going to run out of pistol. You're going to run to his side and evade him, mm-hmm. or your your other guy is going to go right up the middle. What I found was happening a lot in this game is I think what you're mentioning is that you know somebody like JOK or 44, who's that Taki Taki, um, mm-hmm. would would come off the edge on one side and the run would be the opposite way, but they, they, he'd be too quick and he'd catch the play from behind. Yep. Exactly. That's what you're talking about. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, what else we want to talk about here? Uh, Brown certainly had a good game plan in terms of pressuring Jackson. We're going to get to that later. It was Jackson had a lot of trouble with pressure in this game. And uh, when he basically got the ball out quickly, very effective. Yes. Um, but, uh, but when he, uh, when he was in, uh, back in there and there was any kind of pressure on him. He had a lot of trouble. Very fortunate. We didn't end up with any turnovers uh, on that on Sunday. Supremely fortunate. And that was one of my biggest frustrations during the game. And I tweeted about it was I was just, we saw the fact that he kept getting blitzed and mm-hmm. having trouble. And I felt like we weren't creating him any plays to try to give change ups to the pass rush. Mm-hmm. We didn't do any quick passes. We didn't really, you know, um, take advantage of the situation or try to exploit it. And that was something that I thought was very concerning. And I didn't know what was going on as far as it just kept thinking like, okay, drop back there and find the open guy, you know, in the intermediate or long. And I was like, why are we doing this to ourselves? (laughs) Like, and uh, yeah, I just, I thought we could use a couple rhythm plays to get him on schedule again and give him some confidence. And we just never did that. Yeah, and the Ravens have certainly some personnel who can help them out there. You get Prochet as a you know a, a slippery little slot guy. Uh, Bateman uh, gives you some of that, and Duvernay gives you some of that. And they they had used them effectively in the Miami game. And the reason I bring up Miami is they got they got the whole game of cover zero blitz against Miami last year, and and they came in and Miami started with cover zeros in in that mm-hmm. game that they ended up winning forty two thirty eight. But the Ravens scored thirty eight is a is another way to remember it. Uh, and of course, the, the Ravens had an answer. They were prepared with plays to the outside against Cover Zero, and and they made some, including the seventy-five yard touchdown to Bateman. So okay. I, I want to see. I, I do want to see them have stuff in their back pocket for that. 
And this is something, you know, Jackson, as he matures, is going to have to get better at. It's it's not how does he extend a play to get a win, but how does he get the ball out of his hands quicker under certain circumstances to get a win? And it's it is not natural Lamar to do that. I'll just say that it's, it's mm-hmm. it, it he he really it has to be schemed that way for that to be the natural case. You know, you know, we Ravens have feasted off the fact that Lamar holds the ball for over three seconds. It's usually a very, very good thing in terms of, of having a scramble possibility or a good play that he can make off schedule. Um, he's just, he, it's not his natural bent to get rid of that ball quickly and, you know, turn himself into Ben Roethlisberger, even for a few plays. As fans, we like to have our cake and eat it too. I totally mm-hmm. acknowledge the fact that what you're saying is like the killer aspect of Lamar is his ability to extend plays and make some magic. And I'm saying, can you please get it out of your hand faster and trust the other guys to make the yes. play? <laughs> <laughs> I totally understand how these two things are at, at war with each other. Um, and it, it does make it complicated as a play caller. I'll fully admit. Yeah. You know, one of the really nice plays that we remember from this game was ball was out of his hand in an instant was the pass up the right side and to, to Duvernay. So you can still mm-hmm. have a play where you drop back just a little bit. And that ball was out of his hands almost instantaneously. And Duvernay run up, ran under it like a raindrop or whatever. And and uh, it, was a, it was a nice, easy, relatively easy catch for him. He did go to the ground as he made the catch. It would have been nice if he could have caught it in stride. But there was a safety coming over as well. Made a nice, clean play on the ball. And that's, that, that's the kind of yardage you really want to punish a defense for bringing a blitz on. So it was nice to see that one. Yeah, for sure. And uh, that was that was a great play. Uh, Duvernay had a, I, what I thought was a very good game despite limited opportunities. But most of our pass catchers are limited opportunities with only uh, 16 attempts, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, big game for the Ravens on, on third and fourth down. And th- this is something that went a little unnoticed. But the Browns went two for 11 on third down. And they got I think they went one for one. If I recall on fourth down, I got to go back and yes. look at this really quickly. So, sound right? So they were three for yeah. 12 overall on the combination of third and fourth down, meaning when they got the third down, they failed 75% of the times to convert, whether they lost it on downs or they, or they um, uh, punted or, or they kicked a field goal, but they, but they didn't, they didn't continue the drive 75% of the time. The Ravens were seven of 15 on third down, but they were also two of two on fourth down. So they went, you know, nine of 15. Uh, 60% on their third down opportunities, whether it took them one or two downs. That's amazingly high for the inefficiency of the Ravens offense. I mean, they, they, you know, they ran for, they averaged four yards per play. They had a bunch of, of, of barbell plays, which is normally the death for an offense to have a bunch of sacks included in, in what they did. Uh, they certainly had plenty of incomplete passes. They had more incomplete passes than the Browns in many fewer attempts. They, they had seven incompletes out of 16. The Browns had five out of 27. So it's not like there weren't opportunities for the you know Ravens to kill their own drives, but they didn't do it. They had really successful third down plays in this game. So uh, you know a, a variety of of really positive results there. But they did have a bunch of rushing first downs that came on either third or fourth down. And I think that's the the Gus Edwards effect. I know that the fourth down plays mm-hmm. weren't Gus Edwards, um, but they uh, I think his ability to fall forward and get positive yardage and not be a negative play is just remarkable. And it was so pleasant to watch that again. Yeah. How cool was it to have him back in there and effective right away? Uh, you know, not, not perfect, not his old self, not breaking as many tackles as he did facing a defense. that was definitely keying on him, but mm-hmm. you know, to even to get him 16 carries, I mean, that, that did not seem like a ramp up game. That seemed like no. a, I'm ready to go. Yeah. And I thought that was, I think I saw the tweet that, um, JK's never gotten that many carries any season, which is kind any of a game. Yeah, that's why I think I think that's huh. why I read, which I don't know if I fully believe, but I guess I could buy it because he's always been in pseudo committees. Right, you've heard us talk about liquid death for a few weeks now, but have you started paying attention when you go to your convenience store? Did you notice those strange tall boys of beer, but they're in the bottled water section or they're in a store that doesn't sell alcohol, but it looks like they've got beer? It's because it's not beer. It's mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called liquid death. Why is it called liquid death? Well, because it brutally murders your thirst. It's infinitely recyclable. Tallboy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. Plus, they donate 10% of the profits to every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. 
And I don't know, for some reason, it seems like the water's always colder in a can rather than a bottle. Plus, you can have some fun with it. I had fun this weekend where I took a couple tall boys of Liquid Death to coach a little league. You put those right into the uh, dugout with a bunch of eight-year-olds, and you'll get some attention. You got some parents looking. Definitely get some attention. But no, I had to show everyone it's just Liquid Death. I'm just drinking water in a dugout with a bunch of little league kids. So go get Liquid Death for yourself. Test it. Try it out. You're going to fall in love with it like I do. So go get Liquid Death at your local Harris Teeter or 7-Eleven. Or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with the store locator tool at liquiddeath.com forward slash film study. That's liquiddeath.com slash film study. Yeah, I bet that's true. Uh, that's a, uh, uh, you know, one of the things was that Michael, or Michael Vick had never had more than 15 carries in an NFL game. And, and Lamar Jackson had 27 in his first start, which was the most <laughs> by a quarterback since like 1950 something, 53 or something. But, uh, but it was a remarkable uh, anyway. Uh, let's talk a little bit about, about some of the results by how they afforded uh, space to Jackson in this game. Only four ATS opportunities for Jackson in 19 dropbacks. Now, that's, that's 21%. That's bad. It's not abysmal, but it is bad. Um, he only had three passes that he got off for 24 net yards. He actually, despite having ATS, he got sacked on one of those plays for seven yards, so held the ball yep. longer and, and ended up taking a sack. Um, he had seven ball-out quicks. Uh, on those, he went five of seven for 84 yards. Uh, and that's yeah, 84 yards, 12 yards per play. So that was where he really um, made his, earned his salary. Yeah. Yep. And, and then he had eight times he was pressured. And this was bad. Two of six for minus 14 net yards. So yep. it doesn't get much better, much worse than that. Uh, even under pressure, I mean, I, a typical number for, for, for not ATS used to be about four yards per throw in the Flacco era. Uh, eight and four was maybe the kind of the normal standard for Flacco. You need to get a lot of ATS. It was worth a lot to get him ATS. But mm -hmm. in, in the case of Lamar, um, he's had some real trouble with pressure these last three weeks. And, and this is something that I think other teams are going to be looking to as part of the game plan. And, and, you know, I'm always hesitant to say it's a, it's a new formula to beat him. I'm just saying the, the Ravens are going to have to come up with some, like you said early in the show, some additional plays they have in their hip pocket to be ready for situations when the other team wants to blitz. And in, in some ways, the worst cases that I'm seeing are ones where the, um, the blitz is coming on some form of a delayed method. So it's not obviously, they don't show yeah. it at the line of scrimmage. The delayed blitz seemed quite effective against this, this game. I definitely noticed that as well. I think um, one thing that kind of ties into these stats is the quiet day by Andrews. Uh, mm -hmm. Lamar said during the press that they had a nice scheme to take him away. That terrifies me. <laughs> like uh, that makes me really concerned that somebody else is going to find a scheme or like copy this. And if it's going to give us that kind of trouble, that's super concerning. I mean, we've seen him be a dominant player that seems almost uh, scheme proof. He just will make the play regardless of uh, the attention he's drawing. And if that isn't the case, uh, that makes you very nervous about the offense's potential unless other players really start to step up. And it also makes it difficult if he was a first read in so many of these plays, he's taken away, and then you're struggling with giving him ample time and space, and the ball's not out quick, and then these pressure events. I mean, you know, the obvious th response to that is you need to scheme more plays where he's the second read and that you have ready to go. Uh, and, and I would say almost any play where the other team is blitzing, you don't want Andrews to be the hot read. It's too obvious. It's too Kelsey. It's too the first guy that, that you know, is the bailout mm -hmm. guy. And there's a lot of interceptions thrown on balls to Mark Andrews. We've been over this on the show a number of times, nine last year. Yeah. Um, try and avoid that. Have an option to the outside. You know, have Duvernay run occasional um, backup wide receiver screen kind of play where he's, where he's two yards in the backfield. Have, uh, you know, have opportunities where jet motion beats the uh, blitz. That's a nice thing mm -hmm. to, to, to kind of see. But, uh, you know, if you're, if you're constantly running it exactly where you expect him to run anyway, you don't really have a hot read. So it's uh, – anyway, it is, it is what it is. 
All right, what else we got? The Browns went after Lamar with numbers in this game, and let's see. I do have that ready to go. Marina and I have had to be doing a over-the-phone tabulation of stuff this this week because of some things. I apologize for that, but that's one of the reasons why the articles are not out there. Um, but uh, they ran 10 four-man rushes, 43 net yards, 4.3 yards per play, two sacks on the four-man rush. That's, bad, by the way, very bad giving up two four-man rushes, rush sacks. And they weren't little ones. They were a seven and a 12. So not the kind where Lamar was trying to turn it into a run play. Um, mm-hmm. And and he, you know, it's it's a sack that maybe another quarterback wouldn't take. Um, anyway, the five-man rush, they did that six times, uh, six for 51, eight and a half yards per play. So that was okay. He did a good job of beating the, the, uh, the five-man rush. And the six-man rush, three times all incomplete. Not good when... No. You can rush numbers like that. In fact, I throw the five and the sixes together, and then you don't have a very good number. It's nine for 51, which is under six yards of play. Toss a sack in there, and all of a sudden that's not looking good. But, you know, the Browns, again, even though the Browns have a, a really good four-man pass rush, the Browns were willing to toss five and six in there to try and get Lamar off the spot, to try and make sure that Lamar didn't get to a, a place wide of the of the pocket and extend from there. Um, they, they did a lot of things right in this game, trying to get pressure on Lamar. Yeah. And one thing I noticed later on in the notes um, was the amount of set and chip blockers we had. I felt like those were relatively ineffective. Um, mm-hmm. I saw, I saw some a couple plays where we did that and we just lost another option. So to speak to pass the ball and they also were ineffective or sometimes you just see them blocking air. You know, there was no one there. And then, they weren't able to provide help. The guy got right past him. Uh, sometimes with the delays, I saw that. So definitely a little little troubling um, to see. Again, maybe it's a familiarity that the Browns knew what to do uh, and to handle these set and chip blockers. Yeah, I thought the Ravens running backs did a good job. In fact, the guy who really stood out in this game to me was, was Justice Hill in terms of being just a stonewall pass blocker. In fact, he... He got one guy, and I think it was Isaiah Thomas, up in the air um, blocking him. But he literally lifted him, forklifted him off the ground with his block, and that, that was very impressive. He's a much bigger man, obviously, than, than Hill. Uh, yeah. So it's nice, nice to see that. Um, but I, I agree with you. I mean, I think some of the Ricard stuff and some of the Josh Oliver stuff was probably not as good, and, uh, and they ended up with uh, you know not exactly what they wanted in terms of, uh, of pass blocking. I'm trying to think of of Isaiah Likely if he was in there to do any pass blocking or not. I don't re- recall it because he, he's you know he's in there mostly no. just to to be a receiver. But he also didn't play many snaps in this game. Only seven snaps for Isaiah Likely. So yeah, I saw that uh, decent production for limited snaps, I suppose. But uh, yeah, that that's definitely it's 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 a concern. That's kind of what I said. If Deshaun Jackson is going to be activated, I think they're going to have to change their their philosophy here. Um, to get the most out of him. It also, you know, makes it pretty clear that there is room for Charlie Kolar in this offense when he's ready to play. Yes. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I, I honestly, like, I'm kind of excited to see what he can do. Obviously, Oliver has been playing much better this year, and that's a great sign, but I think uh, it could be really dynamic with Kolar if he's better than expected uh, mm-hmm. and become a more interesting option. So we'll see. But, um, yeah, Definitely room in the offense for him. Yeah, I I, I would see, you know, Kolar is a player I would really predict to be limited in terms of snaps as he gets back into the offense. Unless they see something in practice, they go, wow, you know, we can't not have him be the And Iowa State, he was completely, they they ran that offense through him. I mean, they it, it play after play, oh, Kolar, 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 you know. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, he's, he's effectively the Mark Andrews for that offense. Um, if you, uh, uh, if you if you see that in the week before, and you see that Lamar has, uh, you know, the chemistry with Kolar that really works, then maybe you don't try and hold it back. Maybe you go ahead and let him play a whole bunch of snaps. But my guess is he's he's going to get kind of eye droppered in, kind of like it's a, a, a situational pass rusher. He'll be a situational receiver, and he'll he'll get an opportunity to play, and then they'll layer on some additional blocking snaps where he can be a blocker or a receiver and line him up in the backfield a little bit and do some other things. But I think his, his actually how they use him will be very um, uh, stepwise uh, implemented. 
yeah, I can definitely uh, agree with that. I think, uh, yeah, I, I guess, you know, we're seeing very limited plays out of Boyle. I imagine that it would be who suffers in this uh, scenario. And yep. uh, you could you could imagine those five snaps a game or whatever being very intentional, very schemed. He knows exactly his assignment and uh, kind of layer it that way. I mean, you also could could have a uh, deactivation at tight end, I think would be the natural thing. Because I don't, I mean, it, it's tough enough to have four. They don't have enough work for them. You know, Boyle is an important special teams player apparently to them because they have him as the number two guy on the right, uh, right next to the center in punts on punts. And that's, you know, if you're looking for why is Nick Boyle still, you know, getting activations, that's probably a pretty significant reason. Cause I don't think it's, I really don't think it's what he's giving the team as a tight end. I think they, they give all those snaps to Oliver or, um, or, or, you know, not give any more and, 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 and not feel bad about it. But if Kolar came, they might have to make a choice and they might have to say, okay, likely has to sit because he's just not producing at this point. Or um, Oliver has to, or somebody has to sit if they get hurt. That's always a possibility. Um, you know, one in terms of how it's going to affect snaps though, it's going to affect the guy who has to sit the most because he's going to lose all hundred percent <laughs> of his snaps. But, but I also think that Andrews could end up losing snaps out of this. And I'm not sure it'd be a bad thing to, to, um, to have his snaps be reduced. If Kolar gets, Let's say Kolar by the end of the season is playing about 25 snaps per game. Could be more than that. Mm-hmm. But if he's playing 25 mm-hmm. snaps per game, he has to cut into somebody's snaps. So it could be some some of Ricard. He loses his snaps. That certainly is not unreasonable. It could be some of, of uh, uh, Oliver. It could be some of Likely. And it could be, or it could be all of Likely, in fact. And it could be uh, some of Andrews. Yeah, for sure. I think Ricard makes some sense. And also, yeah, like, or um, Andrews definitely. I I felt like he had less snaps this game than he actually did. Obviously, that's probably just related to his actual impact on the game, as far as how many times the ball, uh, you know, he made plays. But uh, yeah, it turns out that he had relatively the same amount of snaps. By the way, there's something when Maureen and I score the offensive line. One of the things we look at immediately is the formation, and so our, kind of our mm-hmm. our our banter back and forth is she's looking for formation right away, and 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 I say, okay, we got three one one initially. But you know they, they have a card over there, and he's going to move, and this, so check, 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 check. And I, you know, I'm always, I'm always tell, telling her, you know, don't don't write it down hard yet. And and one play, Ricard was the middle slot player. Not even he wasn't the inside slot. Even he was he was in the middle, and it looked like they were going to bring him in motion because he was off the line of scrimmage, and they never did. He he, he took <laughs> off from that spot. It was just it was a weird play. Um, now there's something about that that may be distracting to the other team. To basically have your, your, you know, your fullback hasn't moved yet. Maybe they're flat-footed. Maybe get a little bit break off the line of scrimmage. So I respect the fact that Roman might like to try that, but it's not going to turn into a useful pattern to have Ricard be in that number two <laughs> spot off the off the side there. It might. The other thing I guess it could be a useful pattern is working into a rub route somehow, where Ricard mm-hmm. ends up being the big body that that a crossing player, you know, a crossing player in coverage can't get a can't get around right you know that that could be interesting but but to have it to have him lined up there and and uh and have the play go off was just was really weird it disrupted and it was distracting to us as we were trying to score the offensive line so uh <laughs> so that, that was bothersome i know i know the player you're talking about too it's funny yeah. <laughs> Bring it up. uh all right let's see what do we got uh so let's see the the, the pressure the browns did get uh, against him I, I'd, I'd say there were three main components to it. The first of all was Clowney and and uh, Garrett are still a destructive duo that that deliver a lot of pressure. And and um, Moses had trouble, but McCary had trouble as well when he's on that right side as a pass blocker. And we had uh, uh, Garrett uh, give Stanley some trouble, and um, on the on the left side, even though it probably wasn't as much as it could have been, obviously. Garrett also was on the right side, the offensive right side for some of the game, giving Moses some trouble. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it was it was a mix of those two. The unblocked pressures off the edge were just a big deal. So they had a lot of we got one more than can come at you kind of rushes uh, they did. And that's that's why we saw three incompletes, I think, with a six-man rush, was that they're mm-hmm. getting extra unblocked on on the edge on those. And then the other thing is JOK rushing to delayed. I don't want to be a broken record here. But they got to have a game plan to deal with him. Sometimes you need a, a game plan to deal with the offensive players of the, sorry, the defensive players on the other side, and um, they've got to find a way to either get a helmet on him 
or to misdirect him and uh, you know on plays and try and see if we can get him out of the play. Uh, the guy has it does not have universal rave reviews from the Cleveland Browns fans. By the way, they they still think he's too small, mm-hmm. has a lot of problems. I, I think you know he's just unbelievably effective against the Ravens in terms of of what he brings to the table. And by the way, the Browns probably think that about Patrick Queen, who's on a great run here. But you know, not all Ravens fans agree that he's all the way home in terms of at being out of the dark and uh, uh, in terms of you know playing football. So anyway, there's probably some similarities between those two, is what I'm saying. Yeah, no, I definitely can buy that uh, similarity between the fan bases and uh, their respect towards those two players. I, I would definitely agree with you. I think the interesting part was that while Stanley was really effective uh, in this game, he definitely would give up some ground, which mm-hmm. was then compounded when a delayed rush or uh, you know if they had a lot of people to the right-hand side. The right-hand side was obviously the side that uh, had the most trouble this game. And then Lamar would get a little frazzled because he knew, oh, it bumped, you know, like you always talk about with Stanley, like that, mm-hmm. that's not there. And um, he did that one Houdini uh, move where it was astounding that he got out of there and, and made a positive play out of it. But that's a, just a, a really difficult situation to expect him to deliver in. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, yeah, you, you want to you want to be facing otherwise a pretty clean pocket when that happens. It's if. And Stanley, you know, for, for as good as he's done, one of his really good times where he basically gave up a pressure when he could have given up worse was last week at the end of the game uh, against the Giants on the fumble. Mm-hmm. He allowed that pocket to be phone booth directly against against Lamar. And right. he, he really deserved a third credit for that sack. So that's what I, I gave to him. It was, I guess, forget if it was Moses or McCary who was on the right side. It was, it was McCary at that point in the game. Right. Who was on the yes. right side and, and Thibodeau beat him. Um, so anyway, it, I, I, you're right. And it still causes problems with phone boothing that, that, uh, that I'm not crazy about even when uh, uh, the more normal thing is he gives up that pressure all by himself. And Lamar says, Oh, no problem. Mm-hmm. I'll scamper. All right. What else about the scheme? We haven't talked about the heavies yet. Uh, they, they, they played their heaviest game of personnel yet at 2.48 per play. I mean, just you, you think this, this offense couldn't get any heavier. Bateman comes back and he's available. So you think, well, that'll change things. And, you know, the Ravens have uh, all their other standard receivers still available. They they had Prochet active. They did actually uh, deactivate Wallace for this game, which is a little surprising to me. That, you know, oh, deactivating a- yeah, that was one of the biggest surprises because he's so commonly used on special teams. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, to to uh, to have two point forty eight heavies per play, they had of a ton of Andrews, they had of a ton of of uh, Ricard. Likely snaps actually got cut a lot. Boils were up a little bit, so between the two of them, you're probably about the same place in total. And then Oliver still had a pretty good number of snaps as well. I think he was in the low twenties in this game, so yep. they they ended up being you know two and a half per play. Uh, you had some theories that you were talking about in the. In the I want you to bring it up and introduce kind of yeah. this theory. Oh, I just I just felt like with that amount of heavies, I was surprised that the run game wasn't more effective. I know that it had an okay game, um, but I think the I guess the run game didn't necessarily fail us, but there was a le- mm-hmm. lack of dynamic plays, I suppose. And it seemed like there was always one it was one guy away, you know. So fair enough. You know, they, there's another team on the other side too making plays. Uh, but it just I don't know. It just was, I thought that they would have better chance running against this team if they acted like every other team in the NFL, so to speak, and and ran a little bit more 11, a little bit uh, lighter personnel and spread them out. That was my uh, assumption of how you could win this matchup. And they did their opposite approach. And I feel like that kind of played a little bit into their hands and their personnel advantages. Uh, might have. I mean, you know, the, the I don't know what Cleveland's slot corner situation is in terms of having a weakness there. Uh, I, I want to say the greedy Williams is they're they're trying to trade him right now, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, he's one of one of a couple players on the Browns that, that that's really on the block at this point. But the uh, uh, most teams in the NFL like prefer to run out of eleven personnel, and they prefer to do so enough that they don't feel the need to carry a fullback on their team. So it's a roster savings for them. And they say, okay, we can, we can deal with that. Um, if you run out of 11, you've got one guy 
presumably on the edge of the line of scrimmage, but you run a lot of plays with four wide. So you got three wide receivers wide. You also have a flex tight end and you run out of 11 and your running back has to do some good things. He has to make a lot of those yards himself because there is no lead blocker. There is no point of attack blocker on the play mm-hmm. unless you can use a combination block at the line of scrimmage, block it up perfectly, get a guy to level two who blocks somebody also. And then you get a, you get a, a, a point of attack block on that play, but you really very rarely do you get an extra blocker at the point of attack on such plays? Uh, it is just not the Roman way. You know, Roman Roman wants to do it uh, with extra point of attack players. He always, you know, brings a guard in motion, which gives you an, that's another. There's another way you can get an extra point of attack player. So, so you know, got to be honest about this. Is that's a, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's an extra pull a guard. Uh, but Roman always, you know, pretty much wants a guard in motion. Um, a lot of that is not necessarily for the ability of the guard to make the devastating block that springs the play it can be okay but it's it's also to misdirect the defense into being out of position so what he's doing is nothing you know the the, the comment i make from time to time on the show is nothing moves a linebacker better than a pulling guard so if you you want to really see a linebacker start to get antsy and have to try and figure out where his read goes watch the pulling guard Watch what that linebacker does on that play, and you'll, and you'll see they move a lot more on those plays than they than they do if you're just trying to make obvious combination blocks up front, and you're running your tight end in the middle of the line of scrimmage, and all the action is there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that just that just doesn't create the same sort of opportunity for the uh, uh, for the running back. But the Ravens they not only pull a guard, they they pull a guard and a center, or sorry, a, a guard and a tackle, or a tackle, a tackle. And, a, and a center. Mm-hmm. Uh, either way, and and uh, those two-man pulls have been quite effective at misdirecting offenses as well. You're not getting almost any value out of the trailing tackle on such a play uh, in, in terms of the pull. It's, it's really you know, one guy being in the normal line of the path of those two players is normal. Two guys being in the normal line is, is um, unusual, and the player usually has to do something good to make a block. In fact, that's why I give a courtesy point in the offensive line scoring system for a trailing player on a pull mm-hmm. is that they, they don't have to actually make a block themselves uh, uh, to, to get credit for it. Now, if they screw something up, otherwise they trip or they, you know, they fall down or they create an obstacle or they had a block that they didn't make because somebody moved into a gap, then they, then they get docked down. But, but if they otherwise just follow the normal path and don't make a block, they don't get a P zero, they get it. They get a P one N in terms <laughs> of a, a courtesy, a courtesy point there. Uh, but anyway, I, I, yeah. I, I, the, the misdirection is the key is the key component, and and that's what Roman offenses do. They you know they've lived off the off the misdirection and what that does for Jackson in particular up the middle, and you know we can say that you're not really happy with pulling guards and whatnot this year, but but I mean Jackson's having a wonderful rushing year. Uh, I, I'm not I, I'm the last three games it certainly has not trans you know translated to his uh, pass game prowess, which mm-hmm. I'm very concerned about. But I, I think that's they're kind of two different problems. I think they need to have some other plays where they scheme the ball quickly to the outside. Um, in, in, in you know when they see a blitz coming, that they need you know they just need to deal with different and a few when they don't see it coming. You know what? A few when they yeah. even even they don't know it's coming, but there might be a delayed blitz coming. If they do try and pass, go ahead and drop back because they're going to drop back quickly to the outside. You know, mm-hmm. it's that's the kind of one that'll throw off a defense a little bit and make them slow down if uh, if you do that. Yeah, I definitely want to see them try to decompress the field and, and take less attention from the middle of it. I feel like there's a lot of yeah. tension, you know, right at the middle of the play. And that, that makes sense. That's where most of the players are. But I do think uh, going to the outside would be beneficial. And um, some of those quick hitters, like we talked about earlier, quick passes out mm-hmm. uh, to the outside, slow down the pass rush, things like that. All right. Great stuff, Alec. We're going to take a quick break here. Be back in about two minutes. I'm going to get a glass of water, see if my throat feels any better, and and we'll uh, uh, come back and talk in the second half of the show. But th- tell folks one more time your your Twitter handle. Sure. At uh, one winning pod, uh, the number one. And uh, you can find us there and you can find us on uh, YouTube as well. All right. Outstanding. Uh, we'll be back in just in just a couple minutes and talk to you next time on part two.
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.